1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 104. Stop number three on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, the Mayo Portugal Pro, commences on March 3rd and will feature the world's best men's and women's surfers at the Portuguese pipeline Super Tubos as they vie for results ahead of the mid-season cutoff, where a third of the men's and women's tours will be reduced following stop number five in Margaret River. The first two stops of the season, the Billabong Pro Pipeline and the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach provided no shortage of fireworks for the world's best surfers and Portugal promises more of the same. The Mayo Portugal Pro will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Also, if you haven't already, please join the lineup podcast fantasy league at worldsurfleague.com backslash fantasy. Search for the lineup league in private leagues and punch in the passcode lineup, all lowercase, to enter. My team uh, lost some ground, I guess, after Sunset Beach. I think I was rated 195th in the league ahead of Sunset. Now I'm 247th, but we also have way more teams, so maybe the competitive pool just got more intense. Either way, congrats to Team Chuckles, who took out the Sunset event for our league, and congrats to Team Sebastian Correa for leading the league overall. I, uh, I suck at fantasy. But it's, uh, it's very fun, and we'll see how we go uh, in Portugal. All right, episode 104. Today's guest is someone who may have just had the most radical couple of months in professional surfing history. After recovering from injury, he finished 100th on the 2021 Challenger Series, well outside the qualification mark. He then finished runner-up to two-time world champion John John Florence at the Pipeline QS event in December a result that gave him a wild card into the billabong pro pipeline championship tour event where he finished ninth to eventual winner and 11 time WSL champion Kelly Slater. That result was good enough for a replacement spot into the Hurley pro sunset beach presented by Shiseido, which he won and he now sits world number one heading into the Mayo pro Portugal all at the age of 22. What a ride. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Hawaii's Baron Mamiya. The good old clap take one. That's right. How many of you knew what
2: you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be
1: honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put him up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you
2: want. <laughs> i thought talking we boxing.
1: Okay, so we have Baron Mamiya, wildcard axe wielder, winner of the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach CT <laughs> event, and the current world number one on the line of today, I don't actually know if we've ever had a current world number one on the podcast. So, man, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a it's been a crazy last couple uh,
1: days. I'm just super stoked. <laughs> We're gonna get into that. So <laughs> this is gonna launch, I think a couple days before Portugal. You are going to be heading to Portugal. Are you still in Hawaii today? And if so, where yet? Who are you hanging out with? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm still in Hawaii right now. I just been Obviously it was like a last minute thing to get the call up for Portugal. But yeah, i just been kind of training, you know, hanging out with my friends here and there and just surfing and uh, trying to get ready. And I think I leave in uh, on Friday,
1: I'll be there. Right on. on. And, and how are the waves there? Did you surf today? Or are you gonna surf? What What is it, like a day-to-day training thing look like for you? I guess sort of winter time on the North shore.
2: Uh, I mean, for the last like month and a half, the waves were just like absolutely firing the whole month of January, I was basically just surfing every day, all day. Like it was some of the best run I've seen ever. So, but I just been surfing every day with my friends. And then I get my trainings in whenever the waves are kind of slow, but yeah, for the most part, I just been surfing all the time.
1: <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned it's been a crazy couple of days, but man, I, I think it's been like kind of an insane couple of months. Like you finish 100th on the 2021 challenger series rankings Uh, So outside the qualification for this year, you then finish runner up to John at the Pipe QS in December, which grants you a wild card into the Billabong Pro Pipeline, where you finish ninth in the dying seconds to eventual winner Kelly Slater. Then you get a replacement spot at Sunset Beach where you win the event. You're now world number one. I think that might go down as the most radical couple of months a professional surfer has ever had career wise.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, at the end of last year, I was just like, I just, I was dealing with a lot in 2021. Um, I had a really, I had a bad injury. I was out for five months. Um, what, what was the injury?
1: You walk, walk through it.
2: Uh, I had a shoulder injury. Mm. So basically, um, I had to fix my shoulder. So I got a pretty aggressive surgery to make sure it didn't come out again. Right. So I was out for about five months, right. When I got back in the water, it was, uh, the QS started again and I was only back in the water a week. And then I was traveling and I was just not like fully there yet. I wasn't mm-hmm. like physically ready and I wasn't mentally ready. There was just a lot of other stuff like personally going on. And then at the end of the year, I was just like, oh, okay, well that was kind of a write-off. Like I didn't do good at all in any of the events, but Hey, you know what? It's all good. I had pipe coming up. I felt a lot more ready. I was surfing a lot more. I was just getting my training in and And I was back home. I was just super stoked to be back home, you know, hanging out with my friends, going about my normal routine, sleeping in my own bed. And then the pipe contest came up and yeah, I was super stoked. I got second um, to John. Um, It was sick to, you know, finally get to surf a heat out there with him. Um, I've looked up to him my whole life, obviously being from the North shore. So yeah, I got second at pipe and then I was like, yeah, right on. Like I'm in pipe masters. Like this is sick. It's always been a dream of mine. So I got really ready for that event. And then um, I felt really, really good. Uh, The waves were, absolutely firing for that whole month like we were me and all my friends were just surfing pipe basically every single day i was like tripping when i got into sunset because i was like holy oh no like i don't know how to do a turning where i surf pipe for like four weeks straight and like getting barreled every day but yeah the pipe contest went well or obviously i wanted to do better but i got to serve a heat against kelly at firing pipe you know i couldn't have asked for really anything else but yeah, I mean, I was stoked with everything.
1: We've talked about actually on this podcast, there's a theory out there that Kelly had resigned himself to retiring in the heat with you because he respects you so much. It was a great heat. He he was going to come in and say, you know what, like pipeline means a lot to me. I didn't get the result I wanted at this event. Baron beat me, but he's part of the new generation. It's very fitting. And then he gets that wave in the last four seconds. And the theory goes that he came in and he he was so emotional in the post, post-heat post interview that he kind of processed like ending his career on the spot, but he kind of had to <laughs> deal with winning anyway. I don't know, yeah, did he say yeah. anything to you before, during, or after that heat? Uh, yeah, when we were piling out, he
2: kind of looked at me and he's like, dude, it's cr- like, it's firing. like." we're psyched and i was i was kind of just like I to i just want to beat you like i don't care about how good the waves are and then i was kind of like sat there and i was like wow like i'm in a heat with kelly slater at 10 to 12 foot firing pipeline like i was i was and i looked at him and i was like yeah sick right on and then we kind of like he exchanged a few where i got that good wave at the, be- uh, at the beginning i got the eight or whatever it was and then uh he kind of looked at me and he's like oh that was a good one uh. and i was like oh yeah it was pretty good <laughs> and then uh yeah we didn't really talk much after that and then uh I kind of was like, okay. And then I kind of made a mistake with going on that one wave and giving him priority in the last five minutes. You never should give that guy any priority in the last five minutes of the heat, especially if he's not combo. So, and then he got that wave and I just like, I literally couldn't believe it. Like there was, (laughs) I was like sitting out there and even Leo and Kano are in the other heat and we were sitting out there and it looked dead flat. And all of a sudden it just came out of nowhere. Like I was baffled. I was like, whoa, there's a wave right here. And I remember Leo, he we watched Kelly get the wave, he comes out and then Leo looks at me and he's like, Wow. And I was just like, wow, I couldn't believe it.
1: <laughs> oh, it was crazy. So, it was crazy. So so when you come in from something like that, at, at that point, we didn't know about sunset, right? So were you just like, ding dang it, that didn't work out? I guess I'm gonna kind of rally and focus on like QS Challenger Series stuff for the rest of the year. Is that where your head goes after a heat like that?
2: Yeah. I mean you know, I thought I had a pretty good, like, performance throughout the whole event. Um, for sure. Yeah. I thought I was, like, stoked. I mean, I was like, hey, maybe they'll give me a wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they won't. It's all good. Like, I understand if they don't. But I asked them for the wild card, and they didn't get back to me for a while. And then they got back to me right at, like, three or four days before the event. And I was like, whoa, I'm in. So, I started to get ready. Like, I kind of was getting ready for sunset just in case. Right, right. Um, Right after the contest ended, I kind of, I kind of took a few days off, and then I... I was like, okay, I'm going to go try some boards at Sunset. And then when I really got in, I was like, okay, I need to go, you know, figure this out. Um, but yeah, that was basically what I what happened.
1: Without a, a CT event at Sunset Beach, how often throughout a typical winter would you say that you surf out there?
2: Uh, I, th- I don't think, I think last year I didn't even surf it once. So. <laughs> <That's perfect. laughs> yeah, hey, uh, I mean, I, I try and get out there as much as possible. You know, Sunset is a very important wave you know, especially because the CT and stuff like that. But I just like with me, for me, it's like the crowd is just such a nightmare. And it's like, there's just mm. guys on these huge boards sitting way out the back and you're basically sitting on the inside, like hoping they fall. So I don't yeah. really surf it that much, but when it's firing and there's not too many guys out, I'll definitely go out for a wave or two.
1: And you, I think as far as like elite level surfers go and correct me if I'm wrong, you like to ride even kind of smaller boards than even other CT surfers, whether it's at Pipe or Sunset Beach. Is that, is that fair?
2: Yeah. I love to ride um, smaller boards. Sometimes it's not the best option, um, but yeah, I mean, I love to, you know, try and see how small a board you can ride with it working and stuff. So yeah, I really like to ride smaller
1: boards. What size board were you riding on? Kind of the big. What was the biggest board you took out um, during the sunset event? Uh,
2: the funny thing is, is during the sunset event, my first heat, I rode a quad six four. Um, it felt pretty good, but it wasn't like amazing. And then. The same board I rode for all of Pipe was a 6-3 and it was made for Pipe. And I took it out to Sunset that afternoon and I rode it. It was, uh, and it worked really good. So I just rode the 6-3 the whole contest after that.
1: And you had, you've been riding Sharp Eyes for a little bit now. Um, You -hmm. had a fellow Sharp Eye team rider in Kanoa Igarashi in the final with you. How close are you with sort of other team riders from Sharp Eye that are on the CT? and, And how much do you guys hang out or talk about boards or compare equipment?
2: Uh, I mean, I'm not too close with a lot of them. I'm friends with Kanoa and then Philippe. Um, I don't really like, we don't really like sit down and like talk about boards or anything, but I definitely talk to Marcio about like, Hey, what's, what's Philippe writing here? What's uh, (laughs) Kanoa writing here? Like these boards look really good. Like, can I get one? Um, so I more just talk to Marcio about like what he's shaping for the other guys. But yeah, as far as like hanging, like talking about boards with other, uh, riders i don't do that too often
1: right <laughs> now in terms of your own competitive confidence um i, I love talking to elite level surfers because to a person they acknowledge how how distant you know the level of surfing is even at the challenger series level compared to the ct you know and that's the story of like you can be this really hype surfer coming up through the ranks and then the second you get to the CT, it's a completely different beast. The surfing is faster, it's more powerful, the competitive tactics are, are much sharper. Has that been your experience across these first two events, just competing against the CT class?
2: Um, yeah, for sure. Like for me, I think the QS was a lot harder for me. Um, mm. There's a lot of really, really, really good guys and the waves aren't as good. on the QS than as they are on the CT. So a lot of like the guys in the QS are really good at the small waves, and they're really, really – you know, they have their game really good. I'm not that good in small waves. I grew Mm. up in Hawaii, so we don't (laughs) really get small waves too often that we surf. Um, So I felt the CT was a better fit for my surfing just in general. Um, Everyone on the CT is, you know, insane, like John, Philippe, Gabby, all of them. They're just really – really really good so when I I, like as I was growing up I would always watch John and me and all my friends would always watch his clips and we'd always try and like watch his surfing on those big waves and then try and imitate it so I think for me it was just it's a little easier it's not it's by no means easier on the CT but I feel more comfortable in the better waves than I do in smaller waves on the QS
1: that makes a lot of sense I actually think that's something that we've been working hard to kind of design to course correct a little bit right because from the time that the CT and the QS split, which I think was 1992, it did create that space where the QS often weren't in waves that were the same quality as the CT, but you'd have surfers that were kind of like yourself, better built for that CT kind of wave than the QS, but they they would have a hard time getting to the CT. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like, you you may have found kind of a backdoor onto the championship tour, right? Like if you make the top 22 after Margaret River, depending on how many more events you surf, you're in. You're not only in for the, the back half of the season, but you've qualified for the start of the 2023 championship tour too, which would have you kind of leapfrogging over the QS and Challenger Series in a way. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have thought about
2: that it's yeah it's definitely crazy like i was so nervous going into like the challenger series this year it was definitely Mm -hmm. like i was like okay like i gotta do it this year like i gotta you know figure it out like so i started training and preparing and then after i won sunset i was like whoa like this is crazy like everything just changed in like a matter of a day like i'm world number one and i just won the contest like this is like insane like i couldn't believe it
1: (laughs) yeah and it's the level thing right like people talk about they're like well, I'm going to get really good on the regional QS. And then if I get good enough, I'm going to kind of level up and work really hard on the Challenger Series. If I get good enough, I'm on the CT. And then even once you're there, it's like, I have to get good enough to make the midseason cut. Okay, I've done that. I have to get good enough to make the top five. Okay, I want to be in title contention. And as you pointed out, it's like, man, my whole program was focused on qualification this year. And now, now, theoretically, I'm in the lead for the world title, or at least making the Rip Curl WSL Finals. It, mm-hmm. that must be that must be a mind trip <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like even like talking to my manager and
2: he's been with me since uh since i was 14 uh sean ward yeah he like yeah i've been talking to him recently and he's just like dude like you know you could really want a run here like this like i was like dude the funniest thing about <laughs> the funniest part about this whole situation is that we were worried about me qualifying this year and now it's like i'm number <laughs> one in the world like this is this is crazy. And he's like, yeah, you know, but you got to stay focused. I was like, yeah, hundred percent, you know, this is a great opportunity, but you know, I obviously now I have the yellow Jersey. I know a lot of people are going to gun for that and they're going to come after me. I have a huge target on my back. So I'm just trying to stay focused and, you know, make some (laughs) heats. I
1: I love it. One of the other interesting things that happened this year that I'm interested to get your feedback on that too yeah, this is my 17th year at the ASP WSL. When I started, it was still in this space where Pipe was the last event of the season and the championship tours where the world's best surfers were. But the Hawaiian waves still had specialists that would really, really make a run in those events. And then something happened kind of a few years into it where the CT class just got so, so good everywhere, whether it was J-Bay or Pipe or the Gold Coast or whatever, that the specialists at those locations had a hard time making inroads into the event just because the class got so good. Now that we've kind of inverted the schedule and started in Hawaii, obviously we saw Moana Jones Wong's historic uh, victory in the women's field at Pipe, and now yours at Sunset Beach. It does feel like there's maybe an opportunity for, for really well-rounded Hawaiian surfers to to kind of claw back a bit of space in these Hawaiian events is is that the feeling that you've got being on the ground or is it maybe or I guess another perspective would be that oh you and Moana are kind of anomalies and that the CT class is still pretty lethal at every spot yeah I mean from
2: Moana for example I grew up with her um, so I'm very close with her and I've watched her surf pipe the last five years Going into that event, I was kinda like, okay, like she has a huge shot at winning this contest. She's surfing the wave. Like I've never seen any girl surf it. During the backdoor shootout, she was basically showing up some of the guys, and I was like, Wow, this is crazy. Like you're really, really good. And I kind of knew, like, hey, if it's big pipe, and you know, she's very comfortable out there. Um, so I always kind of knew that she was gonna be a really big threat to take out the contest. But yeah, I, I think the CT is it's so like the level has just elevated the surfing level has elevated so high that it's really, really hard. But I definitely do think now that there's a lot of young kids and the young kids coming from Hawaii and they really are, you know, pushing for that. And I think there's a huge shot for all of them to do really good in some of these events at in Hawaii.
1: Makes a lot of sense. We're going to get into a bit of your biography here in the next segment, <laughs> but but before we do, I want to just get your sense of of winning the Sunset Beach CT on the North Shore where you're born and raised in front of the hometown community you know walk us through you know the I guess that final day having that opportunity having you know the community behind you and then actually coming home with the hardware it must have been must have been the best day of your life
2: <laughs> Yeah it was it was the best day of my life for sure like I never have felt that before in my life and I've never won a serious contest besides like pro junior when I was younger. So to win that and see all my like family and friends down to beach, it was definitely a pretty like crazy emotional uh, feeling. Like I couldn't believe it. It was was definitely one of the best days of my life
1: by far. That's awesome. Well, I think it's going to be the best day until the next best day, the way that you're going. We're going to take (laughs) a, a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we are going to dive into just exactly where you came from. We'll be right back. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash lineup. All right. So you mentioned uh growing up on the north shore of Oahu. Is born and raised? Is that where you're
2: from? Uh yeah. I was born and raised on the North Shore of Oahu.
1: What what part of the North Shore did you grow up on?
2: Uh, so I first was living in Holiva mm-hmm. and then as I got a little older, I think it was I was nine, my I was basically begged my parents to move up toward like sunset and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, come on, like I want to like wh- I was surfing Holiva when I first grew up. That's where I learned how to surf. Was at Haleba. Um and then once I got older, I surfed VLAN for the first time. And I was like, this is the best wave ever. Like, this is so <laughs> yeah, sick. Right. like I'm a grom and I'm getting barreled at like little tiny VLAN. Like, this is sick. So I was like, begged my parents to move up there. We didn't move up there till I was around twelve, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Sunset, and then I moved. I was there at Sunset for about six months, and then I moved to. Uh, Kiki, and that's basically where I grew up my whole entire life all the way until last year
1: yeah it's not that far I guess if you've got a car but when you're nine you're like it's it's basically <laughs> yeah. like a planet away for me to go serve the way yeah, for sure yeah, I was definitely like
2: begging my parents like every day. Like my mom and dad would come home from work and I was like, come on, let's go surf VLAN, VLAN, VLAN. And I got to a point where I, f- where they finally were like, Okay, we're moving up there. You can ride your bike down
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> and did do did do do mom and dad surf? Do you have brothers <laughs> or sisters? What what was the home life like?
2: Uh my mom my mom didn't really surf. My dad grew up surfing, uh, with like Uncle Mike, Uncle Derek and all them. Mm. Uh so my dad basically taught me everything I knew. He took me out when I was two. Uh, my brother, he kind of surfs a little, but not really. He got older, really scared of the ocean. He's younger. Okay. He's younger. So he he likes to go on the ocean and stuff, but he's not, he's not super big on surfing.
1: Right, right. And so growing up on that side, once you moved over there, I guess before too, I assume you went to Sunset Beach Elementary? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's where I went to school. It's <laughs> so maybe,
1: maybe like the most concentrated like educational institution for world class surfers in the history of humanity. Who were yeah. some of the, your um, kind of contemporaries that you went to school with?
2: Uh, all my friends were like uh, I had I went to, I grew up with Noah Beshin and then Makana Pang Kalani Finn McGill Wyatt McHale, All of them were we all went to school together. That's where we all went, Sunset Beach.
1: <laughs> and how how are your parents on you know skipping school if the waves are good? Because we we hear different <laughs> versions, obviously, from different surfers. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh man, my mom was a teacher. I would get murdered if I tried to leave school. And then other kids are like, oh, like my the waves are good. My dad was literally taking me to surf instead. <laughs> yeah, that's basically how I was. My dad would literally <laughs> take me out of school, and then I'd get home
2: later that night, and my mom would just be snapping at him. Like, you, <laughs> doing? you need to take him to school. He can't be skipping school to go surfing. Da 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 da. Like. But yeah, my dad was always like, oh, the waves are firing Like, Let's go surf. I was like, yep.
1: <laughs> and it, it's interesting. Some of those names you mentioned, too, because this comes up a lot in, well, in the last few years, for sure. But, you know, at that elite level, the the surfers that get there kind of fall into a couple of camps, you know, on the one side. There's like the surfing royalty side where it's, you know, my dad and or and or my mom, they were on the CT and my grandfather's a shaper and I was born and bred and I had all these opportunities and like I basically been going to trade shows since I was five kind of pathway. And then there's the other group who are like, I might be the first person to surf in my family or maybe not. Maybe we just weren't that connected to the the surf industry, you know, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to make my own way and obviously there's a lot of gradients in between too, but where would you kind of put yourself on that scale?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, my dad grew up surfing, um, mm-hmm. but he definitely wasn't like, you know, traveling or, you know, he didn't really, he wasn't making a career out of it. He was just doing it for fun and doing it cause he loved it. Um, so it was definitely a lot different to say to some other people, but, mm-hmm. uh, he definitely taught me from a very young age that you're going to have to work for everything that you have and you're going to have to earn it. Like no one's going to give anything to you. And he was definitely instilled that in my mind since a very young age, Um, mm-hmm. which was awesome for me. You know, it gave me a lot of motivation to do what I want to do. And it definitely was a huge factor in the person I am today.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of motivation and hunger is something you see inside and outside of surfing, but just to stick with surfing, it does seem like it's a constant across the world champs you know whether it's excuse me talking about the brazilian storm and kind of the financial hardships that a lot of those surfers had to overcome to get there or even someone like kelly slater who early on in his career was saying things like you know the prize money wasn't great but the way we looked at it is if i got through this heat that was a couch for the apartment that we were renting sort of thing and and i do think that that is a huge driver for that separates kind of the wheat from the chaff in sports, right, where it's like, I am hungry to be here and hungry to win, maybe compared to other people who are very, very talented, but maybe a little more comfortable like in their, in their place. Yeah,
2: for sure. Like, when I was growing up, my parents really didn't have much. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely a, like, there was some financial stress, like a lot of financial stress, actually. Yeah. So it definitely, and I seen other kids, you know, with like the nice things and things that I wanted, And I always knew, like, okay, well, if I work hard enough, like, I can have all these things, I just have to work hard for it. And the fact that I just love surfing so much was just a huge plus. Like, all I wanted to do when I was younger is just go to the beach and surf all day. Like, that was the only thing I would do. I remember I would just try and, like, surf as many sessions as I possibly could in one day to see, like how far I could go. I remember I was like super young and I got to seven and I was like, yeah. So (laughs) that's like, yeah, like when, yeah, I just, you know, my dad always taught me, yeah, you just, you're going to have to work really hard for everything you want. And, you know, I always took that with me and I just loved the sport of surfing. So it was just, it was a bonus.
1: Was there a moment for you where, I mean, you're so young still, you're 22, right? Yeah. Jeez. congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's insane. But was there a moment for you, I was gonna say when you were younger, but you're still so young. Was there a moment for you coming up where you thought to yourself, I want to be a professional surfer. I want this to be my career. Or was it something that you kind of always had that you just sort of kept working towards?
2: No, I knew from when I was like six years old, I was like, Oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, I don't care. I don't care about anything else. There's no plan B is this it's this or nothing. Like I knew that like I was like, I just knew from a very young age, like there's nothing else I would rather be doing. And if there, if there, if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, but I'm going to yeah. make it work somehow. You know? And that was always a huge motivation for me. Like I never wanted to have a normal job. All I wanted to do was surf. So I sacrificed everything I, everything I ever had to just surf all day and get better. And yeah, so that was all I wanted to do. <laughs>
1: If you weren't a professional surfer, what, what would be the next best thing that you could be doing outside of surfing? Let's say that
2: (laughs) I honestly, I, I literally, I don't know, like (laughs) I never, ever thought about it in my entire life. Cause I was just like, I felt like if I thought about a plan B, then I would, then that was the thing where I was like, I wasn't giving everything I had to surfing because I had a plan B in the back of my head. So I was just like, okay, there's no plan B it's just all in hundred percent. So I never, ever thought about it to be honest interesting but when i was younger i did like to skate so I'd probably be skating
1: okay i was <laughs> yeah. gonna ask was there a temptation where you're like oh, maybe yeah. I do"? This. okay yeah. you, you listed some some very high profile figures uh that were your contemporaries at sunset beach elementary school in terms of growing up you know when it's six years old you make this promise to yourself i'm going to be a professional surfer and give this everything between then and your teens and i guess sort of into now how did you rate against the other sort of North Shore kids, both both in free surfing and in competition? And was there a point for you if you weren't as good as them, where you're like, if I work on these things, I'm going to get there? Because we can say that you did, you're world number one, but I'm wondering <laughs> if that was always the case. Were you always so dominant amongst your peer group?
2: Uh, yeah. You know, I was definitely the most competitive person out of any of my friends. I think. I think my biggest, my biggest rival when I was younger was Finn McGill. Um, mm-hmm. We would always go back and forth and he was definitely a really, really good surfer and still is obviously. Um, but yeah, I would, he, we would just go like this all the time. And like anytime he would beat me, I would just freak out. Like <laughs> just be like, what? Like, how did he beat me? Da, da, da. And yeah, I think definitely when I was younger, it was definitely Finn was a big, huge push for me. Big, huge factor. I always wanted to just be better than him and just beat him. Um, that was definitely one of the people that i wanted to like that was my biggest rival when i was young for sure
1: there's a lot of conversation around the role of sponsorship and and how that impacts a young surfers development you've had some pretty high profile sponsors and and you, you still do do you remember the the first people that started supporting you um in surfing and and how did you respond to that the idea that someone was going to kind of financially support you as a surfer
2: yeah i think so I have sponsored by Rusty from nine to 12. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't think I was making any money from them. They're just hooking me up gear and they paid for a few little trips to go to like nationals and stuff. And then, mm-hmm. uh, my first like real contract where I made a little bit of money was from Hurley. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a 12 year old kid, I don't, I wasn't, I was making like, I think like 500, thousand bucks a month. And I was just like, so stoked.
1: <laughs> yeah. um,
2: couldn't believe it. Like I was like, Oh, I could go buy all the candy and donuts I ever wanted. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was uh that was the first time I got a sponsor and I was getting some money. So yeah, it was huge for me. I was super stoked. Like my parents weren't gonna be able to like afford me going to nationals and stuff if I didn't get sponsors. So when I got like a sponsor and I was making some money, it definitely took a lot of stress off them and I was super stoked with you know everything really did for me. So yeah, I was stoked and then uh, I got, I was sponsored for Hurley till 2019 and then I signed with Rupa.
1: Yeah. There was no gap for you. You went straight from one to the other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, I, and that's, that's awesome. I only bring it up because obviously there was, there's a lot of surfers that have had that gap specifically with the industry kind of contracting and having to kind of figure out what that next step is. So that's, that's really impressive that you're able to go from one to the other. One of those things I was going to ask about with the development side of things too, is seen this time and time again with you know either surfers coming from the North Shore or Bali or West Oz or places that have really, really high quality surf and they're, they're awesome places to live. Surfers from there sometimes have a hard time leaving, right, to to travel mm-hmm. on tour, to do the QS, to round out their approach in waves that maybe aren't kind of Hawaii or Indonesia or West Australia based. How did you deal with that? when you were younger, you mentioned going to nationals, which would have been a different experience, but were you always into it? And maybe that in part was driven by your desire to be a professional surfer or were there points where you're like, oh my God, I don't want to be in this place surfing these waves, I want to be home.
2: Yeah, I think nationals was always pretty mellow for me. Like I never Mm -hmm. really cared too much because there's no waves at home. Uh, I think the first serious time where I was like, okay, this is like heavy, like I want to be home was the first year I did the QS. (laughs) I did good in the first event. I got second at Merriweather and then I lost every heat. I remember this. Every contest. (laughs) And I remember that year I was just like, dude, this is heavy. Like I just want to be home. Like I don't even care about, like, I was just like, bro, I just want to be home. I want to sleep in my own bed. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to walk down the beach at like Kiki and just look down and be like, wow, this place is beautiful. Because growing up on the North Shore, it, it is like one of the most beautiful places in the world like it's my favorite place i've ever been to and it's very hard to leave when you grow up in hawaii but i think now for me i'm definitely more like when i'm on the road i kind of have my program you know i got like you know a nice group around me like i have my girlfriend coming with me and then my filmer who's a good friend of mine and then i got my manager sean so it's you now it's a lot better I think before i was just so grommed out and i was just like this sucks like why is this like why am i here but now it's like i get to enjoy like i I feel like before i wasn't enjoying the places i was i was just like oh i I just want to be home like this sucks but now i think i'm definitely like you know a lot more appreciative of where i am and i'm having a lot better of a time for sure
1: you mentioned earlier like how good the waves are on the north shore were you one of those north shore kids that was much, much more comfortable out at like, you know, eight foot pipe than you were kind of competing uh than you were at like a two foot beach break. And is that something you had to intentionally work on in your own surfing?
2: Yeah, I was way more comfortable at pipe than any wave in the world. I still am for sure. Like I've given everything I ever had to that wave. I surfed that wave, brain or shine when it's too big or too small or surf that wave as much as I possibly can. So I feel like I've definitely you know, in the most comfortable at that wave than any wave in the world. I knew small waves were going to be an issue for me. That's just basically how it is for any kid from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So a couple summers I would go and stay with, uh, my manager, Sean, and we would just, he lives in Huntington. So we would just go surf Huntington. I would just surf there all summer, just work on boards, you know, just try and get better, figure out how to create speed on small waves like that and just do stuff like that just to get better in small waves. And then, it definitely paid off at. It definitely paid off when I went to the QS, and it was you know the waves were small and shitty, and I was just like, "Hey, this is what Huntington's like." I put a lot of time in, so let's see how my skills go to everyone else.
1: <laughs> Makes a ton of sense, and even the way that you describe pipe, I think is it's pretty reminiscent of even I think how Kelly talked about after his win there, where he said, "You know, I've given my life to this wave," mm-hmm. and. It's something that I've come to realize pretty recently. Like my, my I got eight-year-old twins, and they got into rock climbing and got me into rock climbing. So I've been like binging all this rock climbing content. And I was saying to a few people, I said, "Man, it is pipeline is surfing's El Capitan, like in rock climbing sort of parlance. Like Tommy Caldwell or Alex Honnold, all these people, they say the same exact thing. They're like, I've dedicated, you know, decades or my whole life to just this wall." you know, and mm-hmm. you hear that same kind of reverence and people talking about pipe and as good as you are out there, that easily could have been your career path. You know, you could have just been like, I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate my life to this wave. And, and you probably could have still had, I mean, you, you could have had a really successful career just doing that, but it sounds like you've always been driven to want more.
2: Yeah. I mean, the first time I ever went out to pipe, I was nine and uncle, my uncle Derek, Derek Ho took me out and, you know, basically pushed me in my first wave out there i can remember clear as day I went, i took off and my front foot slipped and i just cartwheeled down the face completely pounded like freaking out and then he's like it's fine just in the next one you gotta just you know make it and i was like okay next one i took off went down the line i went to i went back door the first time he pushed me and it was a small little right and i got barreled and i came out and i was just ecstatic couldn't believe it and ever since then i was like oh my god this is my wave i love this wave like this is like I'm going to surf this wave every day. Me and all my friends would go out when it was small. We'd sit on Ains. We'd surf backdoor. We surf pipe. We just would just love to surf out there when it was small and get all these little backdoor waves and stuff. So, yeah, I loved it. It was everything I ever, like, dreamed of, just getting barreled at pipe. And then as you get older, as I got older, I started surfing when it was bigger and stuff. So, um, and it was really fun. But I definitely, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, like, I love this wave and I love pipeline and this is, like, the wave, my favorite wave in the world, but I want to be, like, at the top of Like, I want to surf against the best guys in the world at every single good wave in the world and, you know, see what I can do against all the best guys in the world at mm-hmm. the best waves in the world.
1: It does seem like something that maybe, like, John's someone who ushered it in a little bit because, going back to what we are saying about the pipe specialists earlier, there weren't a lot of them, like, 80s, 90s, especially early 80s as well, that could take all that experience out of pipe and then say, I'm going to apply that to Huntington Beach or wherever, lower Trestles, et cetera, et cetera. It was sort of a one-way thing. Whereas I think John through his talent, and also I just think he would be the first to say is like, I've learned a lot just about the way water moves surfing mm-hmm. at pipe. And I've tried to take that and and to your point, like work on how that works at Huntington Beach or work on how that works in a lot of other places. To me, it feels like that's an easier transition than the other way around. Like if you grew up in Huntington Beach, having to then go, okay, I kind of know how water moves out at Huntington Beach. Now I got to go figure it out at Pipe. It feels like that's a a bigger mountain to climb than the other way around. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Like
2: growing up on Hawaii, you start to realize a lot about the ocean. Your ocean IQ is sky high. You know, I've seen my best friends, that all know how the ocean works and how this and the currents here and the waves break here and this and that. And you learn that very quickly at a very young age when you're surfing there all day. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up in Huntington, I'm assuming you, the waves are a lot smaller. You know, you don't get that raw power as you do in Hawaii. So yeah, I mean, growing up in Huntington and then coming to Hawaii is definitely a huge difference than growing up in Hawaii and then going to Huntington because you already kind of have an ocean IQ and, kind of can see where the waves, you know, what, what, what happens if this happens, and then you can do that and then, you know, vice versa, but you don't get to see that much in a lot of different places where the waves are smaller. So yeah, growing up in Hawaii is a huge advantage. And if you can apply that to everywhere else in the world, you're very stoked.
1: (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. You, you mentioned having to spend a lot of time recovering from an injury. Uh, I think you said it was last year. For so many surfers, and I, and I kind of go back to I think when Mick Fanning ripped his hamstring off the bone in Indonesia, I want to say it's 2004 maybe, like most surfers are kind of naturally fit just because of how much you exercise just going through the motions out in the water. But so few of them up until that point really took their fitness seriously. And even after the fact, a lot of them have to kind of get injured to understand like, oh, man, there's things about my body that I never really thought about And now that I have, I'm, I came back like, you know, 10 times stronger, not only because I rehabbed the injury, but I worked on all these other things and I understand my diet better and my flexibility. Was that your experience with your injury as well? Or have you always kind of been body focused?
2: I was never like the most. I never ate like the best or I, I We, t- we talked
1: about the candy. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm yeah. a fellow traveler, man. I think the same thing. I'd be like, great ice cream, candy, we're on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it wasn't until I started working with Sean where he was like, dude, you're not just going to sit here and eat a gallon of ice cream every day. Like that's just you're no, that's not going to happen. You're, you want to be a world-class athlete. That is not, you know, that's not it right there. So, you know, I slowly started work on my diet and then he got me into training. And then, you know, since I was like 16, like 15, 16, I started to get serious into training. And then, yeah, after I got hurt, I was definitely more like, okay, like now I got to take it a lot more serious because as a surfer, all you want to do is surf. You just want to surf, 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 surf. Then when you're like, okay, I want to surf at the highest level and be on the world tour and I'm on the tour and I want to do this then it's like, okay, well, you're not going out there and you're not going to go and surf 150% every time you step in the water. Hmm. That's going to lead to injuries. Your body's going to be destroyed. Like, it's just not a good idea. So that that's when I was like, okay, well, now I got to like, you know, kind of pick my sessions when I'm like, okay, this, and then like, okay, let's push or let's just like go out and, you know, go through the motions and do this. But I definitely got super into training and I was always like, okay, the more I train, like the more I do good training, the more it'll help me prevent injuries. And I think that when, when I got hurt, I was kind of like, okay, well now I got to take this really seriously. Cause you know, you get hurt and you get surgery, like your, your body's like your shoulder, like whatever it is that you hurt your knee, your shoulder, your ankle, anything, it's never going to be the same again. So you have to take that really seriously and, you know, do all the proper things so that it feels really good.
1: Yeah it's it, the restraint comments interesting because I actually feel like that's completely inverted you know in the last 20 years whereas you know when I started surfers would kind of restrain themselves in heats and safety surf and try to get the scores that got them to the next round and then you'd see this really electrifying surfing in in the free surfing space and then I I guess you could kind of credit the judges with this. They don't get credit for anything, so we should give them a little bit. But <laughs> the, the way they've kind of interpreted the criteria has encouraged and incentivized like the world's best surfing happening in the live arena to the point where I've heard sort of photographers kind of bemoan the fact like, well, I'd go surf that person free surfing, but they pull all their punches when they're free surfing because they don't want to get hurt. You know, The, the mm-hmm. time that they let it loose is in the heats because so much is on the line and they get rewarded. You're someone, and I want to get to this in a second, who is not only world number one, but he's put out awesome free surfing edits. How how have you kind of balanced that to to surf so well on camera, but then also save your body for, you know, the stakes of competition?
2: Yeah, I mean, the last couple, like this winter, for example, I didn't think I was going to be surfing a serious contest until around May when the Challenger Series started. So I was kind of like, hey, you know what, like, let's just go surf. Like, I just want to surf. Like, that's all I wanted to do. And I was like, hey, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to, I wasn't trying to surf as hard as I possibly could, but I definitely was like, okay, hey, if a section presents itself, I'm going to go launch or do whatever I wanted. But um, I think now it's a lot different. <laughs> I don't want to get hurt right now because that would suck. But yeah, it's like when I was younger, I would just, I was just, I didn't care. Like, I was just like, hey, I'll just do whatever, surf 100% all the time. Yeah, just go out there and just give it my all. But now I'm definitely like, okay, like just mellow out. Like, yeah, I'm now I'm just kind of focusing on saving everything for heat because that's when it matters the most, I think.
1: You mentioned a couple of the, the entities that had supported you up into this point. You're now writing for Ruka. I think you're probably their only representative in the CT events at the moment. This is a wild <laughs> yeah. guess. Um, but, you know, longstanding company that has had CT surfers on before seems like a great fit for you, right? Since their entire identity is balance of opposites and having representation at this elite level seems like an important thing. But also mm-hmm. you've been writing Sharp Eye Surfboards, as we talked about, for a little bit now. They have a huge track record in recent years of, of elite level success. It feels like you've landed in a really good place, just in terms of the companies that you're representing at, at this level.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm super stoked to be with Ruka. Uh, I think this is my third year with them, so yeah, I'm super stoked. And then, yeah, Sharpeye has been has uh, been huge for me. Um, Marcio, when he came to, when we met with each other and stuff, he was like, "Hey, I really want to get my boards solidified as some of the best boards in the world." You know, I feel like people don't think that my boards are good in Hawaii or in the barrel or in bigger waves. And I said, yeah, well, let's do it. And if you want that, I can do that. I can help you with that. And, you know, really worked super closely and worked on some pipe boards. And then, yeah, you know, I think now, I think after what, everything that happened, I think now it, you know, proves that he is one of the best shapers, you know, in the world right now. And his boards work good anywhere in any waves. So. You know, I'm super stoked to be on his team. And, you know, it's
1: it's been amazing. And he's also one of those shapers that it feels like surfers are more open to experimenting a little bit in terms of equipment. I mean, Felipe Toledo was surfing like a vacuum bag, dark arts, carbon constructed, swallowtail quad out at the Rip Curl mm-hmm. WSL finals last year and looked amazing. You mentioned to bringing a quad out, out at Sunset Beach. How How flexible are you when it comes to different materials or different shapes in competition? Or are you someone that's like, I have a very specific set of boards that I continue to refine and I stick to these as much as possible?
2: Yeah, I mean... I'm very flexible when it comes to that stuff. Like people get freaked out on quads and this and that. And, Oh, you're riding this. Like I just, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, if you're going to go out in your heat and you're f- worried about your board, you've already lost the heat. Like it's done. Just go pack your bags and go home. Like I don't, for me, it doesn't matter really what board I'm on. I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to focus on getting two good waves and surfing. If my board is not amazing, whatever. If my board is not amazing. There's nothing I can't like, It's out of my control. The heat's already on, you know? So obviously I do everything I can to have good boards on my feet and like I'm, you know, confident in the heat. But when it comes down to like, hey, like this board actually worked really good and it's a quad and I'm going to go out and ride it. Then that's when I'm like, yeah, like the board worked good. People are going to be like, oh, you're, that's this, that. Everyone has their own opinion on, you know, their stuff. But if you're confident on what you're on, then that's fine. Um, I actually got to that board, that Philippe rode in the final. I got that same exact board. Uh, dark arts, four fin everything same fins everything and that was the best board i ever wrote so i was like okay well this board is legit like so i made a 6-4 version of it and that's what i was writing at sunset it's the same exact board he was writing just a
1: 6-4 right
2: um it definitely it was really good i definitely wasn't really super used to it after the heat i uh tried a few more boards and then i was like okay i'm gonna write the 6-3 but yeah i mean I'm not like going to get too in my head about like this board, that this board, this, because then that's when you just start second guessing yourself and you've already basically lost the heat. So yeah, I'm just, it doesn't, to me, it it doesn't really matter. Obviously I want really good boards in my feet, but I'm not going to like, it's not that like, it's not going to like me freak out on it or anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) We got a couple more topics and our listener questions for you, but we're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's Manduka.com code THE LINEUP1515. So we mentioned it in the upfront, but first off, uh, I say congrats, but it was really like very well-deserved uh, getting a spot at the, uh, the Mayo Pro-, Pro Portugal, which will be the third stop on the 2022 championship tour. I don't know how the WSL would have explained not having the world number one in the event, but we would have had to figure something out. So, so congrats, and you must be pretty hyped to get over to Portugal.
2: Yeah, I'm super stoked. Um, I surfed Super Tubos during the, when they had the Challenger Series over there and the wave was insane, so I can't wait to surf it with only one other person out.
1: <laughs> That's good. I was going to ask you, because I know you've you competed at the EDP Bilobong Pro Aracera, which is a radically different wave to Supertubos, right? It's kind of a, a slopey, bells kind of like point break. Haven't had probably the competitive success you've wanted there, but you have been out to Supertubos before, even if it wasn't sort of the the chaos of a free surf with bodyboarders and surfers kind of going everywhere. Yeah,
2: it was uh, a were. F- absolutely fine i couldn't believe it i was just like wow this looks like back home this is insane um but yeah it was really really crowded but you know everywhere's crowded and when you come to someone's home they're gonna you know take waves off you which was fine but just to be there and see the waves it was insane so i can't wait to be out there in heat it's gonna be sick
1: i'm excited that we're going there in what at least we've been told is sort of the primary season for that spot like because in the past we've gone there i've I've been fortunate enough to go there a bunch we've had really good days and really good events i think the year adriano won, we ran the whole thing in like three days and it was just like sun up to sundown just firing offshore really good waves but in this window it's meant to be like big on swell, great on winds, and, and kind of proper super tubos. The locals there love to say it's like the Portuguese pipeline. You can comment on how accurate that is or not. But the question I was going to have, too, is because there are similarities of it's like a very, very hollow kind of a wave. Is your quiver essentially the same between, you know, the Billabong Pipeline Pro and the Mayo Pro Portugal?
2: Uh, yeah, like definitely my boards are very similar. They're definitely a little smaller just because it's a beach break and it's not on a reef. And it's right. kind of, you know, a little different. You got to come out and do turns, airs, whatever. Um, but yeah, like if it was pumping, when I seen it, I would definitely be on something very similar to what I'd be on at Pipe for sure.
1: Right. And we talked a little bit about this and, you know, your future for the last two events after Portugal um, on the championship tour before the midseason cutoff at Bells Beach and Margaret Rivers. I think undecided at this point, might be decided by this time, by the time this rolls out. But in the event that something strange happens and you don't make that top 22 after Margaret River, is your plan to suit up and do the Challenger Series starting at Snapper Rocks?
2: Uh, Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, if something happens and I don't make the top 22, I definitely will be going to the Challenger Series, you know, and yeah, fighting for a spot on
1: tour. (laughs) So we got the uncomfortable question out of the way. We'll have the fun one now. The back half of the tour that, again, regardless of what happens in Australia, if you make the top 22, you are guaranteed to surf at Garajigan, Punta Roca, Sacarema, Jeffries Bay, Chopu. And depending on how you finish, potentially for a world title at the Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles in September. Out of those back half events, which ones would you be most excited to compete in?
2: uh tahiti number one <laughs> i've gone there since i was like 14 or 15 years old every year uh one of my best friends matahi Jole, lives there uh, he comes stays with me every every year so i'm really good friends with him I'm, i love that wave chokes is insane um and then obviously g land is definitely up there i want to surf that wave it's always been on my bucket list for sure so yeah those two are my favorite and then obviously J bay and stuff like that so but yeah those two are my up up there for sure
1: you mentioned talking to uh, sean ward just about the headspace adjustment you've had to make the last couple of days really but it is one of those things i always think about this comment that andy made you know back when he was on tour and he said something to the effect of everyone wants you to win your first world title and as soon as you do the targets on your back have you i know it's been fresh but there's such a different psychology to chasing the front runner compared to being the front runner. Is that something that you work on with a coach, whether it's Sean or sort of like just a sports psych coach or anything like that now that you're in this position?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've worked with sports psychologists and stuff before, but you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, I've prepared for this my entire life and I feel that, you know, whatever's happened, whatever is going to happen, is going to happen. And whatever You know, at the end of the day, like, you know, yeah, I do have the Jeep yellow jersey going into Portugal and obviously everyone's going to be gunning at me and they're going to want to take it from me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go out and focus on myself and do whatever I have to do to win. And at the end of the day, you know, whatever happens is going to happen.
1: I feel like we're a long way away from a tour where people are kind of calling each other out publicly or there's kind of battles. I think there's so much mutual respect for everybody at that level. But I will ask have you felt any kind of difference in your interactions with other CT surfers after your win at Sunset Beach has there been any kind of different attitude or conversation that's taken place or is it more of the same
2: No you know I I think everyone is on their own program and stuff I don't wouldn't say I had any hate from anyone if anything it's been you know congratulations and stuff like that uh, I think we're in such a humbling sport where you know, it's not like fighting where I can just step in the ring and be like, I'm going to destroy this guy's head. It's not like that at all. Um, You get very humbled by the ocean. You know, we're dealing with mother nature and mother nature is, you know, the most powerful thing on this earth. When you start talking, you know, shit about someone else, like at the end (laughs) of the day, you're going to get humbled. You know, it could be in this event, it could be in that event, could get hurt, anything can happen, you know? So I think, you know everyone's at a pretty you know mutual respect you know you know there's probably been stuff said to other people, but for the most part, I think we're in a very you know it's a very humbling sport that we're in and you know anything can happen when you're dealing with mother nature.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because that's been one of my my pet projects and a lot of these conversations is you're I think you're totally right like I think the ocean is sort of it it tamps down on. Arrogance, really, a lot of ways, like because you are competing in the most dynamic field of play, probably in all of sports, and to the point where, as you pointed out, like you could train your ass off, you know, you could be the biggest, baddest person to step into an octagon, and you know you can beat that person, you know. And it's like mm-hmm. you do the same thing in surfing, and you're like, uh, oh, we'll see what happens. Like the ocean's still in charge. And I think that's a really cool thing about surfing, actually, because it is it's so unique in all of sports.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like like I have me and my friend uh Noah would talk about it all the time we'd be like dude how sick would that be if you just you know just started just like fucking saying shit to people you know just going at it I was like yeah that would be sick but like what happens when you've gone you just get smoked in front of the world because you're just saying all this stuff you know I I mean I think it would be sick you know to just do that stuff but and it'd bring a lot of light to the sport and it'd create you know a story and drama and whatnot but I think all the surfers know, like, hey, like, you know, we're in a a sport where we're dealing with not only, like, ourselves and our ability, but we're dealing with Mother Nature. So it's kind of hard to just do that. And, you know, people will handle losses a lot harder if they were to do that.
1: There is a middle ground, though. I I think I get what you're saying, you know, where but I think there's a middle ground where and I think this is something that Andy really unlocked, too. And it was less that he was like talking shit and more that Andy was like, I'm here to win you know, in, yeah. in a sport that, you know, a lot of times people are just kind of go along to get along. They're like, Oh, I mean, stoked. Someone's paying me to surf and I get to travel around and whatever, you know, and, and I think people kind of bristled against that. It's certainly not as interesting compared to people nowadays who are like, yeah, of course I, I compete, I'm here to win. And I know that if I work my hardest, I give myself the best shot.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, i do anything to win at this point. You know, it's, that's why we do it and I'm not here to lose. That's for sure. And I'm sure people don't think I deserve to be here. But I feel like in my mind, I do. And I think I'll do whatever it takes to win. And I think Andy did that.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I don't know. I don't know if people don't think you deserve to be here. If they don't, I certainly haven't heard it. But And I hear a lot of things. But I just, Jesus, man, I just think your performance is everyone's just like, holy shit, this guy is legit. And And I think that's part of it, right? Because the surfing industrial complex and the media hype machine can say all they want about whoever. But... If that person can't do it in the live arena against the world's best, it doesn't mean much. And you've done that, you know. So I think people are yeah, just yeah. like, "He's here." I do want to bring up um, Snap Four. Logan Dooleyan <laughs> is a very good friend of mine. I I, yeah. I ride hard for Snap ever have since uh, ever I've always have ever since it came out uh, with the first videos, and. My understanding is that in Snap 4, uh, your segment is amazing. So for all the listeners who haven't seen it already, go check it out immediately. But your segment won the voting. You won Snap 4, but lost on a technicality. Yeah. uh,
2: Bobby, Mick, and Taj all picked me. Um,
1: Unanimous. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And uh, I kind of was like, well, yeah, I won. But before winning, I knew that I wasn't going to be eligible for the money. So. Um, a lot of people were like, "Whoa, I didn't Logan give it to him." Da, 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 da. But we had a sit down conversation. We all talked about it. Um, but yeah, I won. and I was couldn't believe it. I was so stoked. Um, I did I couldn't believe my section one because I just didn't think he was going to win. I thought Jack was going to have some crazy part. Uh, he did. Which he did. Yours was. He did. Yeah, yeah. Which she did. But yeah, I, I was just super stoked to win.
1: Maybe the universe decided, you know what, this kid's got a lot happening in the next few months. We'll just kind of pull this one out from him just for a second, because that would have just added on to like, yeah. oh, and you won Snap 4 in three months. That's insane. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny looking back.
2: Look, it's, it's funny seeing what happened back then to be like, wow, so bomb. I can't of to get the money or whatever? I, like right. whatnot. And then now what's happening? I was like, okay, well, everything happens for a reason, you know, and you just got to wait and see what happens.
1: Makes sense. Well, I appreciate it. We, uh, every episode we put a feeler out to the, uh, listeners that follow us on social media at, at the lineup pod for questions. And you were far and away, uh, we've had the most questions coming for you. <laughs> we had to like oh, wow. spend hours going through them and whittling <laughs> them down. We've whittled them down to three. Uh, yeah. the first question is from at Kurt underscore P five, who asks, what is your favorite workout when you're not surfing?
2: Uh, my favorite workout is definitely yoga.
1: It's my favorite. How long workout. have you been doing yoga for? Uh, I got
2: into it like super heavy into it when I was uh, during uh, 2020. I was just sitting at home during quarantine and was like, "Oh, let's get into yoga. I have nothing else to do." <laughs> so I got super into it. Body was feeling great. Uh, surfing like a lot better. So yeah, I was super. That's one of my favorite things to do. And then now I've gotten to strength training and stuff like that. But yoga is one of my favorites for sure.
1: Great answer. Second question is from at Tonita Surfs, who asks, what's the impact of growing up with a squad on the North Shore? I guess you probably, or they probably mean compared to just kind of doing it on your own. Like what was the impact for you growing up with a, a little unit around you that surfed so well?
2: Uh, yeah, it was, it was so like motivating and each of us were just pushed by each other. Like one got like someone got like a sick air, crazy wave, you know, you just like, Oh, that's sick. But okay. Now I want to get something, you know, bigger or better. And you know, it just pushed us so hard to, it was just, it was amazing. Like if I did it by myself, I wouldn't have pushed myself as hard. I don't
1: think. Makes sense. And the last question uh, of the three that we picked is from (laughs) at Meeg underscore Christine, who asks, what is your favorite spot to eat in Hawaii? Uh, Poopy K Grill, for sure. De- definitive <laughs> answer. I like it. Yeah. What's, what's your go-to at Poopy K Grill?
2: Show you chicken plate with toss grates. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I
1: get. I love it. Or well, maybe I, we're going to finish up. You can get it pretty quick. Yeah. We've, got, we've got one final segment. Uh, this is the lightning round. So we've got 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life—single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless—which would you choose? Uh, thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Uh, relentless. Best surf film ever? Snap Four. One wave <laughs> you never have to go back to? I know Uh Manly. <laughs> if you if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life? Pipeline. Best person to share a lineup with? My friends. Worst person to share a lineup with? Uh, I don't know. Kelly Slater. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't know, honestly. That's all right. That's fine. Uh. Last one. Finish the sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Winning. Love it. (laughs) It's probably going to happen pretty quick. Baron Mamiya, thank you so much for coming on the lineup, man. Congratulations for all your success. It's been mind-blowing to watch i can't wait to see what you do in portugal and uh yeah i look forward to catching up down the road man thank you thank you so much
2: for having me and i'm super stoked and yeah thank you again this is sick right on safe
1: travels so that's it that's the lineups conversation with hawaii's baron mamiya i hope you enjoyed it Stop number three on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, the Mayo Portugal Pro commences its waiting period on March 3rd and will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, Kumie and the native Hawaiian people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLStore.com is powered by Shopify.